love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I'm here with my co-host, fifth place champion, Haley Chura. Haley, you race. Just fifth place champion in the world. In the world. <laughs> in the world. <laughs> or just like, I just am just like a fifth place at everything. We don't even need to say which race. <laughs> we definitely want to say the race because I feel like, well, uh, we'll go into a lot of things, but you are fifth place champion at Clash Daytona this past weekend, which is a long course, mostly more long. Would you call it long course? Long, long. No, course? it was short. <laughs> it was so short. It was, it was non-drafting, but the whole That's race true. took me like my time was like, was like under three hours, two hours right? and 44 minutes. Yeah. yeah okay. It was short. It's I mean, like it shortish, but yeah. Yeah. So that was the whole, I did watch most of the broadcast I caught. And that was definitely the talk of the broadcast was like, they really set the scene for the short course athletes racing, the long course athletes. And like, we heard a lot about that. And so every time it was like their turn to show Haley or your turn to be shown on the broadcast, it was like, Oh, Haley just race Kona. Haley's a long courser. Haley's a long courser, but look at her go. She's running like a short course athlete. Like it was just like (laughs) so fun to see that dynamic play out. And so let's, I guess I want to hear all about this experience because every year lately, the Daytona race has been happening and it always looks like it's so much fun. So it's so much fun. It is so much fun. That was why I was there was because I had FOMO (laughs) from past years and I was, you know, it's one of those things where I was like, oh, Florida's too far away. It's going to be too warm. You know, I had all the excuses every other year. And then this year I was like, I have all out of excuses. I've had FOMO whenever I've watched all the class races. And, and then I did have that experience in Watkins Glen last year where, um, last summer and where I got to run on the racetrack and it was so cool. Like it was just, I, I just, I just loved the, it was so different. Cause the pavement's like butter. It's just so perfect. So I was like, okay, I'm ready for Daytona. I want the Daytona experience. And it was first of all, much logistically easier than I expected. Like the airport is like next to the racetrack. And then there's like seven hotels right there and like a whole bunch of restaurants. So I didn't even rent a car. Like that's I just amazing. like that's, Uber, yeah, you know, really taxied, nice. taxied because it's like there, but like I, and I got it at like midnight and there's like taxi right there, a minivan taxi that could take all my luggage. It was like, what is this place? Meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was so cheap. And then I was able to like go to the hotel and then, um, I just rode my bike over to the racetrack the next day and did like a little, uh, I'll get to do some practice laps. And I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I did the practice laps on the track because it's so different because it's just like, have you ever been on a speedway? Like, have you ever been to a NASCAR event or mm. formula one or any kind of I'm race? I'm like racing thinking event? hard as if like I maybe have, and I definitely have not. No, <laughs> I hadn't either, but these they're huge. I mean, they're such huge venues and even just like winding in to like figure out where I was supposed to go. I luckily like Magnus Ditlev like passed me and was like, go this way. And so that was very nice. But, um, it's just like this, this, the like scale of the stadium is so big. Cause there's like a hundred thousand seats, you know, and that's just like half of it, you know? And then, um, I got to do some practice, like an easy ride on there. And it was just like, Whoa, because even my easy ride, I like rode one hour easy and did 20 miles, which is like pretty fast. Like I don't normally, if I'm doing like an easy ride, ride 20 miles an hour. Like that's pretty fast, but it's just flat and perfect road surface. And, um, you know, it's getting a lay of the land a little bit and it was so cool. But then, um, for the actual race, it was just, it was spectacular. I mean, first of all, clash puts on this incredible, like VIP experience for the pros, you know, just, we had a, we had a pro lounge, um, and the days before they did, they did headshots, Alyssa with a makeup artist. I was about to say, I, I saw something artist. online that you got your makeup done, which is so <laughs> kind because, and needed, but not needed for you, but needed. Like I, I was needed. It was needed. I got, I went right from the track. I mean, at times that I went right from a track from the headshots. So it was like, yeah, she's like, did you just work out? And I was like, yeah, she's like, I have some like little mineral oil for you. It was perfect. And then I was actually like, could you tell me what you're using? And she's like, 
I think you, um, this other brand from Target would be better for you. It's a little lower maintenance than what I'm using. So that was, I actually did oh, learn so a little nice. bit about makeup. One time I, I was doing, do you remember the newness from noon, noon did like the TV series, TV yes. series. And I like had to go to Crested Butte and Emma was interviewing me and I was like, oh my gosh. And I, I was like, are we going to have anyone there who knows how to do makeup? Like, this is like high pressure. And they, they didn't. So I, in the days before, like had to go to Sephora and I took like a makeup lesson. And I still, to this day, that was years ago. I still now have all that makeup. So anytime I need to do the makeup, I do the routine that I learned yes. <laughs> that time, well, but it is really helpful to learn, but I do wish I knew the, the target equivalent would probably be more realistic for me at this point. But, um, I love that. I love that it, it was, was a little special touch. And then now you can was. use your headshots, right? Yes. That was exactly, that was their point was that we would come out of this, like not only having the race experience, but we come out of it with like professional headshots that look really good that we can use for anything, which is so incredible. I mean, we're in our kits, like with our helmet, you know, just like, um, it was really, really cool to do that. Uh, we also did some interviews and they were definitely short course versus long course, which I definitely came out of those feeling like I was like, like one of the things was there, <laughs> it was one of the questions I think was so funny. It was like about how we were so old us long course athletes are so old <laughs> compared to the short course athletes. And I was sitting next to Jason West and he's like, I'm not even 30. What do you mean? Which I think is funny. Cause I think some of the short course athletes like Val Valerie Bartholomew is like 31. So it wasn't totally, uh, old versus young, but I think, was, yeah, we skew a little older, but I was coming off, you know, the Ultraman high of DD Greasebauer, 52 year old DD Greasebauer winning that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. maybe being old is good. So, um, I took all 37 years of me and put it to good use, but the pre-race stuff was, was just, really cool. Like getting those experiences were, were very cool. Bob Abbott was there. I did a little breakfast with Bob and, um, and that was, you know, always a good time getting to check out the course. And just, it was, um, it, they, you, you feel special. You feel very special also because you get like this wristband and it gets you in onto the Daytona speedway. And that's like, there's like security everywhere. The security guards are very nice, but they are like, there's security everywhere. And they're like, you're like showing your wristband and they're Whoa. like, okay, you get to go on the, like, and it has like a light and it's like hot track and you get to go on the track. Cool. Like, Do you know which way to go? And I'm like, think left. <laughs> they're like, yes. So I think I would have thought right, I guess. Really? Like the direction left on a track, like on a regular track. Oh yeah. I was thinking about if I approach the track, I'm turning to the right, but then I'm running to the left. <laughs> I, don't know. I just thought most tracks you go left, right? But, yeah. You're um, turning on the ins. Yes. Yes. This but, is, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> it was, this one was left. <laughs> I checked, I double checked, but, um, it was, and we also kind of got to congregate as pros, which I think sometimes at a lot of races, especially in North America, people kind of keep to themselves. And this one, because we had this pro lounge and this venue and some of media obligations, we got to congregate. And that was cool because some of these women, I definitely didn't know some of the short course athletes because we don't, uh, you know, overlap very often, but this, the distances of the race were, uh, 1600 meter swim. So mile swim. And then. 37 and a half mile bike, which was 15 laps. So Daytona is a two and a half mile trioval. And then the, uh, and then the run was 8.2 miles, which was three laps of, of the, but we did a little bit on like the road course. So we cut in a little bit, but, um, so you got to, you had, you had, you had plenty of times around the, around the course, but it was, um, but, and the lake is right there on site. Like, so I think Lake Lloyd, the lake we swam in, like when they built Daytona, they dug up, they needed to build up these banks because there's 30 degree banks on either, on all the sides. Right. And so they had to dig, get that dirt. And so they dug a lake. And then I think the water table came up. This is what I learned on Wikipedia, because this is one of the things I, I need to realize when I was like getting there, I was like, this is like hollowed ground for NASCAR. And it is definitely, it's like NASCAR's Kona. Right. And I think there's, it's important to have some respect for the venue. And so that was, I did spend a little bit of time like Googling about Daytona and about NASCAR, because this is something I did not know about. And, um, and I, I did find out where like turn four was where Dale Earnhardt crashed and died. Mm -hmm. And because that was a huge, huge event, Daytona 500 winner and a huge event of him dying there. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool to like see that. And the other fun fact I learned was that when they built Daytona, the Coca-Cola corporation did not contribute, but Pepsi did. 
And so, yeah, Bill France, the guy who built it, did not allow Coke products there until like through his, when he passed away. And so I normally drink Coke on the bike, but this race, I had Pepsi. Cause I was (laughs) like, I gotta respect the race. Right. (laughs) And maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. We talked so much about the superstition last week with Chelsea Sidero and the lays and the bowls. And I know I was just about to say, do you think like Madam Pele like prefers Pepsi over Coke and we should all be, or like Mr. Pib, like, should we all be drinking Mr. Pib on the queen? K? I don't know to do more research into, (laughs) I'm sure there's like a lot of sugar, like background in Hawaii. We probably should do some research there. But, um, so I was trying to like learn some things because I didn't grow up knowing a lot about NASCAR, but I definitely have learned a lot. Um, and so this is all my pre-race activities, but Uh, the actual race, I was so nervous, Alyssa, I was so nervous because I, again, we've done these pre-race interviews and like, even when they were like announcing people, it's like Valerie Bartolome 10th at the Tokyo Olympics. And I was like, oh my God, that just happened (laughs) like last year. I was like, oh, I mean, I definitely don't, I know some of the IT racing, we obviously follow some IT racing, um, or world triathlon as it's called now, but I don't know them super well, but when you look up their times, it's like all like 16 minute five K's. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) No, I'm just, they're so fast. And I kept telling myself, I'm like, okay, you know, eight miles is a lot longer than a 5k or 10k. And even 37 miles is a little bit longer than, you know, 24 miles, 25 miles. So I'm like, maybe I can hold my own. And I'm like, you are a decent swimmer, like trying to give myself little pep talks. And I had a couple of friends who gave me little pep talks too. But, um, cause I just thought I was like, oh goodness, I'm going to be like Ironman mode out there and just like getting lapped and lapped by these young speedy women. But I feel like I held my own. So I'm super excited. Haley, I feel like you even held your own in the transitions. Like, oh no, there <laughs> well, no, but comparatively, like, well, at least from my point of view, you didn't do anything that really, I think there, there was one point when they said, I think they said, did they say Haley Chura had a little bit of trouble getting off her bike? I think you maybe had trouble dismounting, but I, that's not a trend in my mind. That's like something else. I don't know. But like within transitions, like you, I felt like you were in and out very quickly. Oh, thank you. It felt like ages when everyone else around me was moving so fast. So, to, and there were also a lot of preems. So the clash races have a ton of preems. There's $10,000, $100,000 prize purse and $10,000 with preems. So there's a lot of money on the line. And the preems were like for fastest first lap of the swim. Cause we swam two loops fastest T1 fastest first lap of the bike, fastest T2 fastest first lap of the run. Oh. And so people were asking me, are you going to go for the swim one? And I was like, no, I'm not really known for my get out speed on the swim. And the, and like, I just didn't think I had a shot at any of them. And I honestly, I didn't. The only thought was like, maybe if I'm having like a really rough day, I would like slow down a lot on the bike, like eat a bunch, <sighs> really rest when I came. And then when I came out of T2, like two and a half that, mile time trial. Yes. And just <laughs> sprint that first lap of the run, like just go for it. I'm like, I don't even know if I can still do that. That was, that was my like backup plan. A thousand bucks. I was like, okay, for a thousand bucks, how fast can I run two and a half miles? But luckily I was still in the mix. So, but the swim, like Valerie and Sarah Perez, who I knew were so fast. I've raced Sarah before. And like Julie Darren, like took off and I'm like <laughs> trying to keep up. But I'm actually really impressed because that was something I struggled with in Kona was my get out speed and Kona was not good. And, um, so I actually have been working on that and I think I did a much better job in, in Daytona. I wasn't right with them. We had to run, we had to run up and run down this like incredibly steep ramp. And I was just, it actually wasn't as, it was scary the day before when I was practicing it, it wasn't actually that scary on race day. Um, but I was just like, then you're supposed to like dive. And I'm like, do I still know how to dive? But I think I held my own. And then I actually, my second lap, I was like catching Julie and um, normally I would be like, okay, you're like third and fourth. This doesn't really matter. It's a long day, like control your energy. But I was just having fun. And I was like, I'm going to go by her and just like, what happens just for fun. And then she like sped up. And then I think she beat me over the mat. So, and then definitely beat me through transition, but, um, it was just, it was fun, but yes, I, I've been in Montana. It's been really snowy and icy and I should have practiced my transitions. If I could do something different about that race, it definitely would have been to like actually like spend a dedicated like 30 minutes or an hour, um, a couple of times and like really practice my transitions, but not even for the preems, just because I definitely lost time. And I, I wore socks on the run 
And maybe I shouldn't have, because I don't know. I don't know. I just am like, I didn't want to change up that much, I guess. Cause like I normally wear socks and but I guess it's the end of the season. I should have probably just tried it, but they were, I was just like in, you know, autopilot mode and I'm like, get the sock on. But I was like, can I get my shoe on? And I'm meanwhile, like all these women are going by me. And I was like, oh no, please don't tell me there's a camera on me. <laughs> but then you came out of T2, like tearing it up. And so I think, yeah. I mean, you know, a few extra seconds in T2 was definitely not wasted because yeah, I mean, you started flying, flying. It was yeah, like, well, it was really cool to watch. Thanks. I was actually impressed with my bike ride too, which that has been like the second, I mean, my other bike, I, I, I rode pretty well when I did that PTO open, um, relay. And so I was like, you, you have this in you, you have, you know, initially I did think I was hope wishing was longer, but Alyssa 37 miles, 37 and a half miles was plenty. Like I think 25 would have been like, I was like perfect. But those last like five laps, I was like starting to kind of lose focus. And there's like a 20 meter draft zone. And I was, I think maybe I needed two Pepsis. <laughs> like, maybe that was it. Cause I was just like, oh, stay focused. And it's a five minute penalty. And in a race yeah. that short, a five minute penalty is that ends it's your day. Race. Yeah. So I'm like trying to go as hard as I possibly can. I'm like losing it. I'm like, you know, I was getting passed, but I think Jackie Herring came by me. And Katie, the woman from Estonia came by me and I was like, like use them as rabbits, but definitely don't get within 20 meters. Cause you can, and I, and I, it was a very fair race. Like I mm -hmm. didn't see anyone doing anything that I thought was sketchy at all. Or like, I mean, people were very respectful of that draft zone because I think it is five minutes again, a penalty was going to end your day. Um, and so, but it was like, I was getting a little bit, I can see how they had a, they did have a, like a, a like a lot of timing mats and they did have a big sign that kind of told you what lap you were on. And I was using my bike computer to see like the distance. Cause I knew I had needed to get to 37 and a half, but at one point I thought I was 35 and then I was like, no, it's 37 and a half, a whole nother lap. And it just doesn't seem like that much, but it is a lot in that moment. And you are going so fast, but we had like headwind tailwind that kind of helped break it up and the curves, but it goes by fast, but I was going so hard. And also it just like, yeah, it was just, very different kind of racing. Um, and then like you said, T2 and then going on the rhyme. And the funniest thing was, I think I came out right behind Valerie Bartholomew and she was like, and they did announce Kevin McKinnon was announcing and he was like 10th at the Tokyo Olympics. And then I come through and they're like, Hey, Lisa, Ironman Montremblant champion. And I was like, Oh, those are very different things. And I'm like, she's going to crush me. I was like, there's no way I'm like, there's too no bad. Way. They weren't like Ironman podcast co-hosts. <laughs> Oh, I th they did. They gave her co-host. They gave her podcast a lot of love. Oh, good. I okay. will say that. I will. Clash gave in all the panels I was on. We talked a lot about the podcast. So okay, um, good. And I met a lot of podcast listeners, Alyssa. Like I love it. And post race and in this, yeah. But um, get to, I'll get to my social. Anyway, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Run. <laughs> <laughs> Um. So then I like. I was so shocked when I caught Valerie. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, she got 10th in the Olympics. And I was like, how cool is this? You're running with someone who got 10th at the Olympics. Um, and then I was like, focus, focus. And so at first I was like, Oh, I wish this was only 10 K. I wish this was only 10 K. And then, cause it's, I mean, it's still, it's, it's a wild race because it's very quiet and like the back stretch. I mean, you had the wind, like you could hear the wind, but mostly I could just hear my own breathing, which is quite loud. And, um, so I'm like breathing loud and trying to get like calories in and they had aid stations and it was warm for me. Like I was warm. I think it was in the seventies. So it wasn't terribly hot, but there's no shade and you're just like on pavement, but it is like perfect pavement. And I run a lot on the treadmill. I train a lot on the treadmill. And so I think I do pretty well on like very nice surfaces. You know, I'm a, I'm a, like, you know, I like the, the bougie lifestyle of like perfect pavement, but, um, or perfect surf running surfaces. And so I was like, just, you know, hang on. And I think I could see Jackie Herring ahead. She has like a bright pink kit. And I was like, Hey, this is, this is different. Like I'm not the one with the brightest kid out here, but, um, I could like follow someone, but I could see her and she was running a little faster than me, but I could see her catching people. And I'm like, maybe I could catch those people. And, but you can see people when they're like, almost like, you know, they're like three minutes ahead and you can see that. And so it's like, that's a very significant distance, you know, to cover in that amount of time. Um, and so I was just like chasing and I'm, and, you know, trying to go as fast as I possibly can. And honestly, we got to the third loop 
and I was, I was like 15 seconds. I could see on the board again, I could see I was 15 seconds behind Katie. And I was like, I'm just not catching her. You know, I'm just, it's just like, it's going to stay. I'm going as hard as I can. It's going to stay at 15 seconds. But I think we got to that third loop and it was just, you know, that old lady Iron Man endurance kicked in and, um, you know, the that's far, you know, it's, that's when you're getting past 10 K for those, the IT women. And so I was able to catch Katie and Sif Madsen from Denmark. And that was like very unexpected. And then I was like, oh, I'm in fifth. So, um, and I was like, just hang on. So it was, it, that was really psyched again, cause it was just such a strong field. And to, I feel like it was, you know, one of my, my best performances of the year in a very unexpected way, just because I didn't think I had that speed in me anymore. So I was psyched if you can't tell. Yeah, <laughs> no, still. and it was, it was really fun to watch and I got to watch your finish line interview. You seemed super pumped. I think the, the woman who it was interviewing you was like quite famous and, um, she seemed excited. Alicia Kay? Alicia Kay was there, but then Shannon Spake, right? Shannon Spake. Yes. Yes, yes. 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 Okay. That was where I learned a lot of my NASCAR knowledge oh, was from okay. Shannon because yeah. I, she did, this was something I definitely, I mean, the professionalism of how they interview is so, it was incredible. Like she, we actually, she talked to me ahead of time and like, um, did so much work and that was just so cool, but she does NFL and NASCAR. And so it, but she's also a triathlete, like she is a triathlete. And so it's, um, you know, she has insider knowledge of the sport, but just in, I mean, the commentary team was incredible. And then also knows the venue. They also know the venue. Like, I think it was, um, Rick Allen and Shannon Spake, but then also Brent McMahon, Alicia Kay, Belinda Grager, who definitely know triathlon. Mm-hmm. And I think that the combo of, of those commentate, that commentary team was just incredible from what I heard. Yeah, it was really good. It was, um, it was super fun to watch. And I, again, really just like the fact that the pros were spotlighted. The women were race was race is separate than the men's race, right? Like it was yes. really well done. I think that's just, again, we're getting to see these fair women's races go off and like, it is, I mean, I continue to say this and it like, it's like a different style of racing when we're given fair courses and fair opportunities like that. Um, and so you guys were racing on Friday, the age group race, I believe was Saturday. So did you stay through Saturday? Did you get to go? Oh tell yeah. Us, oh yeah. That. Well, so, okay. Well, so we should give a shout out. Angelica Olmo won. Oh, yeah. So ITU athlete won the race. Like, I mean, she came by me, I think early on the bike and it was like, Whoa. And, um, and then Sarah Presala, who we knew would be really strong. She has raced. She shocked everyone a few years ago in Daytona when she kind of, that was her first middle distance race. And she's just so strong swim and bike and, and run even now. And she'd won the challenge championship. So see, she's kind of like hybrid long course and short course. Um, and then Julie Darren, who is also, I think a hybrid long course, short course has had incredible ITU success, but also some 70.3 wins. I think, third Jackie Herring representing for the USA. And, um, she was fourth and then I was fifth. And then who was Katie was behind me, Valerie. Um, I'm at like, what am I at? Seventh, six. I can't count six, seventh. Who was, uh, who will uh, like Grace Alexander? I don't know. There were some, it was definitely, um, it was, there, it was, it was a good mix. I feel like in the pre-race I was thinking, oh goodness, it's going to be all ITU, like it's going to be like all ITU and then all, you know, and, and maybe like Jackie, Jackie's known for being like pretty quick. And, um, but I feel like, you know, some of us long course athletes snuck in there and, yeah, and totally. Did, uh, Leslie Smith, you know, Rach McBride, we were, we were up there. So we showed that, you know, we have, we, we have what it takes as long course athletes. So yeah, congratulations, but yes. Okay. Sorry. Going back to your initial question, the sprint distance race on Saturday was also completely on the racetrack. And okay. I think it was so popular, Alyssa, that they actually had two. They had a wave that oh. went at 7 a.m. and then a wave that went at 9.15. And so my good friends, Betty and Ernie Janelle, were raised. They had come from Abu Dhabi, which also I think like Angelica and, you know, I think Valerie, they had all raced in Abu Dhabi as well. But um, they'd come from that the world championships over there, came to Daytona to race another sprint distance race. But it was so fun to watch, like, because I think they did five laps on the track. So they swam in the lake, they did 800 and then five laps on the track and then one lap of the run. And it was really fun to watch. Well, I love that the tables are turned and you finally got to spectate for Ernie and Betty. This is amazing. Also because at like, because pros get like this VIP access in clash races, I got to go down to the finish line. Did you have Betty's horn? 
Did she I give you the I should have. Oh, I forgot to bring should, the horn. That yeah, we should have really, somehow gotten you a horn. I just used my voice. I, yeah. My voice was still loud, pretty loud then. But um, I thought that would have been great. But I did I did yell a lot. And it's it's a very spectator-friendly course, right? Because they just you can stand in one spot and everyone just comes around. And so especially you're cheering for multiple people. It's very nice. But um, everyone's just coming around. And then... Um, I like, what did I do? I, uh, I was like, oh, I got to go down to the finish line and watch Betty finish. And then I was actually on a women's panel that Alicia K ran with Jackie Herring, uh, Joy McAdams from waterfall racing podcast and myself. And that was also really well done. I, that was the first time I've seen Alicia who we've had on the podcast as a guest, like working as a panel moderator. And Alyssa, she's really good. She's really good. <laughs> I was impressed. Um, great questions. We had, there was a couple of the like very young women who, um, I think had competed in the sprint came to the panel and had some really good questions. And even some guys asked some really good questions. There were some men there. And, um, it was, again, it was just, there was a lot of things going on because, and then the, they also had a jingle jog, which had like 1200 people in it. Whoa. And I know I saw that it was at night after our race on Friday night. And it, oh, everyone was in like costumes, like tutus and like Santa hats and, and they ran through like, they had all these lights and, um, I think it was a 5k and people ran very fast though. I was like, that is huh. very impressive for costume times. But, um, and then they had a middle distance race on Sunday, which I think that one actually goes off the course. Like it just starts and finishes on the course, but I think that sprint distance completely on the track was incredibly popular. Like there were a lot of folks racing and, and some people that I, I, you know, who, again, listen to the podcast. I, I, cause they let me in transition to like help Betty set up and everything. And so I like got to meet some folks who were like, Oh, I listened to the podcast and I wasn't even wearing green and yellow. Alyssa and people recognized me. So thank you. Yeah. Cause it was, I should have worn it, but it was too dirty. I was like, too, <laughs> I smell, it was like beyond the like smell yeah, level. No, 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 I didn't want to be that person, but, um, yeah, it was pretty, Grace. Okay. This is another one. Grace Alexander. We haven't had a show yet. Um, she lent Bob Babbitt her bike what? and he raced on her bike what? in the sprint distance. <laughs> I was like, that's very kind of you. They were like, Hey, we were Are hanging out the sides. <laughs> they were like standing next to each other. And they're like, he's like, we're about the same size. Oh, I was like, yeah. I was like, what a kind human Grace Alexander is. I was like, cause I think he was going to ride like a road bike. And then she let him ride her like TT bike, which on that course, a TT bike is definitely right. Advantageous. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, I know. Maybe we have to have her on to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she got it back. I know. <laughs> I know. I, got, I feel like there's going to be a story there. Um, but cool. And Haley, so then you traveled back today and now you're back with us today. So I'm really glad that you, your travel, it seems like went okay. I know that's probably why I'm a little bit like overly, I feel like I'm like a little overly chatty, enthusiastic. I like did get up at three 30 this morning. So <laughs> then I, you know, I had to get that early flight, but yeah, I'm back in Montana, back in the snow, quite the difference and, but back with cowboy. So yeah. I'm off seasoning, off seasoning hard off season starts right right now or no. yesterday <laughs> it started a few hours ago if you can't tell <laughs> delusional um perfect and we Haley we don't even have any I feel like that you're in the perfect like energy space for mailbags but we don't have I don't think we have any mailbags do we do we answer we answered the mailbag about the scratches on my legs right yeah we did okay. that one yeah I <laughs> think that was that the was. only one we had lingering from a couple weeks ago and so if people do want to help us fill up our mailbag especially for uh future episodes coming up 2023 think about sending us an email with your questions ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com yes um but we also have a really good interview this week and I feel like this goes well with having me having just had this like taste of short course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of, it was non-drafting, but you know, again, you're basically I like, an Olympian. I raced some Olympians. So I'm like, basically <laughs> know everything now. Um, but this week we are talking to the mother and sister of the 2016 Rio gold medalist, Gwen Jorgensen. So 
there's a new book out, Alyssa, and you and I both got advanced copies. So lucky us, but it's called Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete. And it is written by Gwen herself. And as well as her sister, Elizabeth Jorgensen also goes by Liz. I think I call her Liz a lot in the interview and then her mom, Nancy Jorgensen. And so Liz and Nancy joined us on the show to talk about the book. And, um, Nancy is a, she was, she's a teacher and she was like a choral teacher, I believe. And that was like an interesting part where they talk about Gwen's musical background, which I had no idea about. Um, and then Liz, her sister is also a teacher. She's an English teacher and they both write together. They've written previously another book about, um, Gwen and the family dynamic, but this one is more about Gwen's journey to, from, you know, childhood through uh, that, the Olympic games in Rio. And it is kind of set up where it does flashbacks between those, that week before the Rio Olympics and then her childhood. So you kind of see how, how things come together, how you come go from being, you know, a kind of precocious swimming, swimming, loving child in Wisconsin to the first U S Olympic gold medal triathlete ever at the Rio Olympics. So it's fun to hear some behind the scenes from Liz and Nancy, and we'll have that full interview right after the word from our sponsors. Hi, Elizabeth or Liz and Nancy Jorgensen. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. So most of our listeners are probably familiar with triathlon Olympic gold medalist, Gwen Jorgensen, but this might be the first time they've heard the names Liz and Nancy Jorgensen. So could each of you kind of tell us a little bit about yourselves and your relationship with Gwen? Let's start with Liz. Sure. Gwen is my younger sister and I am her biggest fan. Um, I'm also a high school English teacher. Um, I enjoy working out and playing my violin. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not the world-class athlete that, that Gwen is. I'm more of a writer and teacher. Okay. And how about you, Nancy? I am Gwen's mom and, um, I'm a lifelong musician. I taught high school choir for over 30 years and so people often ask me, you know, are you the athlete in the family? Is that where she got this from? And I always have to say, well, actually, I'm I'm the musician in the family. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, you know, um, we we raised Gwen, never knowing what was going to happen in the end. And um, just like with Elizabeth, we pleasantly surprised. And in 2019, you two collaborated on a book called Go Gwen Go, A Family's Journey to Olympic Gold where you each shared your perspectives of Gwen's rise to Olympic champion and your most recent book, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete includes Gwen herself as a co-author. So Nancy, can you tell us how this story is different from your first book? Sure. Um, the first book was really family centered and it's Elizabeth and I wrote it in two different voices. So you hear what it's like to go from Gwen's journey as a, just a, an average Wisconsin kid to Olympic gold medalist. You hear that story from the mom's perspective. And then you hear the same, not the same, but um, complimenting com complimentary anecdotes from the sister's side. And in that book, Elizabeth is very entertaining. I talk about her being kind of the color person and um, I'm the commentary. <laughs> um, and so, it, but that was, although it's focused on Gwen, it's more what a family goes through. And this latest book is more a biography. Um, it was the book that Gwen was excited to do so that she could inspire kind of the next generation. So it tells her story about setting goals and um, how she achieved some of those goals and you know what it might take for some aspiring young athlete to do the same. And so, as you mentioned in this new book, uh, things are set up a little bit different. And I think the story, like you said, it, it talks about Gwen's it kind of intertwines Gwen's preparation in the week before the Olympic race with flashbacks from her childhood and her college years. And Liz, you mentioned that you are a high school English teacher. You're also the author of several books. So was it the intention to kind of build the excitement as the reader realizes how Gwen's younger years prepared her for the challenges of those Rio games? 
Yes. I mean, we have to assume that people know how the story ends. And so to build that intense sort of excitement, like you said, we do those flashbacks. Um, and I think it also gives insight into what it takes to compete at that level, how you get there. And that even like looking back, you might not think that a moment would have an impact on you, but years later, you can see how it did have an impact on Gwen's journey. And I think too, we were trying to show that it wasn't this steady progress from, you know, a nine-year-old to the Olympic champion, that there were so many setbacks and moments when she doubted herself and um, kind of switched paths, refocused on something else. And it, you know, for somebody who might be thinking of that journey, it's not a straight, it's not a straight arrow to the Olympics. Nancy, did you like keep track of a lot of these familial moments kind of during time in a way to like be able to look back on. I'm just thinking of my own family and I'm like, how would I remember so many of these moments? You know, a lot of it was triggered by photos. I would go back through our photo albums and I'd see a picture and I think, oh, I remember that trip. There's a little anecdote about us on a whitewater rafting trip where Elizabeth is so afraid and she's cowering in the bottom of the of the raft. And Gwen is leaning over the side saying, you know, looking for the excitement, kind of looking for a risk to take. And all of that came back to me when I saw a picture of them at the end of that whitewater rafting trip. Um, so yeah, for the family things, kind of the looking back, um, there was that photo research and then talking to people, talking to family members and seeing what they remembered and trying to be very accurate. And yet knowing that memory is kind of a fluid thing. And I just, we did the best with what we remembered. And we also interviewed some of Gwen's friends who are in the chapters, like how fundamental her swim team group was. And so we, Katie May, one of, one of Gwen's really good friends, we had some conversations with her and just said, you know, how do you remember this? And what do you, and then we would cross-reference with what Gwen remembered from that time too. And like mom was saying, you know, memory is, it's different for every person what they remember. And so we tried to put it all together after those interviews. And you mentioned that rafting trip and how eventually uh, Gwen was having a great time. Liz was maybe a little bit uh, more timid, but I, I, when I was reading about that, I think this was, this was happening when Gwen was nine or 10 years old. And she initially was really worried about missing some practice uh, to go on that trip. And while Liz, you were very excited to go on vacation. So I'm really curious about what, what was your sibling dynamic like while you two were growing up? Well, that's something I can't forget. Gwen always wanted to be in the pool. Like no matter where we were or what we were doing, she was wanting more time in the pool. Um, our sibling dynamic, I think, is pretty much the same as it's always been. We get along pretty well, um, but we're very different people. She's introverted. I'm more extroverted. Um, she's, you know, like mom was saying, she, she has this just affinity for maybe risk. Gwen would say that she's risk averse, but she still is putting herself out there. And like, even, you know, on the bike, I don't know. It's just, I would say we have a really good relationship. We call each other, we talk about sibling stuff and the older we get to, I think the better our relationship has gotten. I think that's a common theme for anyone with a sister. <laughs> I know that's true with my older sister and I. Um, a reoccurring theme in this book seems to be that Gwen had some really great coaches, right? So coach Blaine, her childhood swim coach really seemed ahead of his time. He was encouraging the whitewater rafting vacation, tumbling routines in PE, running to improve your endurance and like journaling after workouts. These are things a lot of kind of coaches maybe wouldn't have encouraged as much. And, um, so Nancy, as a parent, did you seek out coaches like coach Blaine who really kept you know, Gwen's long-term development in mind, or were you just really lucky that he, his path intersected with Gwen's? I think we were just fortunate. Um, you know, uh, Blaine coached at the high school, which is about two minutes from our house. It's our local high school. And it just made sense to join the local swim team. Um, not that we didn't keep track of what was going on, you know, and if there'd been any red flags or anything, I'm sure we would have switched coaches, but we were very happy with Blaine. He, um, I think he's just, not only did he have all those qualities, those positive um, things that he emphasized, but he, I think he also had kind of a good sense of balance, which Gwen needed. Um, 
you know, when he, he could probably see that she was obsessed with swim practice. And in his mind, he knew that one missing one swim practice was not going to hurt her training. And so he would encourage her to do things like um, take a whitewater rafting trip or he, um, I remember one time Gwen was, um, she, she didn't do well in a race and she went up to Blaine and she said, Blaine, what can, what can I do to improve my time? And she was thinking he was going to give her an extra set to do at practice or lift a few more weights or something. And Blaine just looked at her and she was always kind of on the thin side. And he just said, why don't you just go home and eat a steak? <laughs> um, so, you know, he could see that she just um, giving her something concrete to do, but, you know, not overemphasizing it. And Nancy, in, in the book, Gwen does mention her mom encouraging her to do more quote unquote fun activities like school dances when she just really wanted to swim. So do you have advice for other parents who might be listening and who have kids that don't exactly share their same definition of fun? <laughs> um, you know, when, when Gwen was, Gwen was very obsessed about all of these things and she always wanted to do swimming and I, you know, I, I think what we did along the way is tried to provide some balance so that um, it, it, I think it's a combination between offering a lot of opportunities and allowing Gwen, allowing the child, whoever that is, to find their passion and yet provide the balance so that I would, um, you know, I, I, we insisted they, both girls, do a music and a sport and concentrate on their academics. And so I think I think what looking back, if I'd known this, I might have been more conscious about it. I just kind of did it intuitively. But I think the important thing is to provide that balance and insist on some balance, but also allow the athlete to find a passion and pursue it as much as they can. And you just never gave up. Like there were so many times when Gwen did not want to do violin and mom was just like, no, you're doing it. Like taking her to concerts with wet hair, like just, you know, I think that that is also a good piece of advice. Just like, don't give in. The, the kids, they don't know everything that's good for them. And so just to have these consistent parent role models that set the expectation and then hold the expectation. And, you know, I didn't know at the time, but looking back and Gwen will tell you this, that she really did not enjoy violin. But part of her personality was whatever she did, she had to do it well. So she ended up being concert mistress of her orchestra. She was the, the first chair violinist. Um, and But she also learned some of those lessons about sticking with something and giving it your best, even when it's not your favorite activity. Because we're all going to have those activities where we have to do them. We don't necessarily enjoy them, but we'll get more out of it if we if we give it our all. And so she will say that she did learn some of those lessons and that discipline of doing something that isn't your favorite, but that you're required to do. And my favorite was when she went to the London Olympics, they did all this promo stuff like NVC and they had to bring in each athlete, like a talent. And Gwen <laughs> brought in her violin and she like got out her books with mom and was practicing. And, you know, it's just fun to see that she did, she needed it. It came in handy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Gwen went on to swim at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, she swam there for three years before she decided to try running for the collegiate track team. So this transition is only detailed in a few paragraphs in the book, but it seems like it would have been a really emotional move given how strong Gwen's friendships with, were with people on the swim team. So the book does mention she had conversations with you both. Um, Liz, do you remember that conversation? Yeah, I do. Um, and it, you know, I remember like you were mentioning a mentor was really just fundamental in that decision. Um, another one of her coaches in high school was Eric Lehman, and he did cross country and track and field at Waukesha South. And he just always believed that Gwen had this run talent that was innate and that she hadn't tapped fully. And he always followed her career. And same with me, you know, he'd reach out to me. He still reaches out to me occasionally via text and just to check in, but I think also to be that little nudge. And so I remember Gwen talking to me about conversations with Eric Lehman, Eric saying, we should really get you on the track and field team at Madison. And why not? Like, what do you have to lose? You're in college for such a short amount of time. I think I was always go for it. Um, 
but I also love track and field, <laughs> like swimming to me, being in the natatorium was never my favorite thing. And I love track. So I was, you know, encouraging her for, for selfish reasons as well. And, um, another big transition in Gwen's life came after graduation when she decided to leave her full-time count position. I think she still worked part-time and that allowed her more time to train, race and sleep. So Nancy, can you tell us about the call that Gwen made to you when she, she called you? And I think she told you she was taking a step back from her tax work to more fully pursue triathlon as a parent, you know, you had made it, your kid had a great job. What, how did that make you feel? You know, I guess at the time we were, we were supportive. We, we've tried to be supportive parents all along and kind of, like I said previously, you know, just allowing Elizabeth and Gwen both to find their passion. Um, we wanted that for them. We didn't have a plan. You know, we wanted them to do a sport. And so when Gwen did swimming and track, that was great. So when she did this, I think our thinking was just, she's always been very thoughtful. She knows what she wants to do. She thinks it through. Um, she talks to coaches, she talks to mentors, and she must've done that to come to us and say, you know, she's going to make this big switch. And we offered to help her. We said, you know, you're only going to be in your twenties once you cannot go back in your thirties and forties and say, well, now I want to try the Olympics. If you want to do it, go it, go at it now and we'll help financially. And her answer was absolutely not. Um, I'm not going to do this unless I can find the sponsorship. I'm going to do it on my own. Um, you're not helping me um, financially. And so I, you know, I think she actually did move back home for a couple months um, and, you know, we, we supplied a room for her to live in, but she really did. She was, she was determined to do it on her own and find the sponsorship. And so, um, but I feel like that's kind of, that kind of was our parenting style to, to trust her judgment and, and allow her to make that decision. And she had, she coordinated a leave of absence. And so Ernst and Young had always said, whenever you want to come back, you come back. And I think that offer is still on the table. And so it felt safe in a way that even if it was a disaster, if it blew up, she could go back to, to being a tax accountant. But at that point too, I think she'd kind of, she had tried to do the two things simultaneously, which was really hard, you know, to try to work 60 hours a week in tax season, doing corporate taxes and train. Uh, for three sports. Um, and so, you know, it, she had tried to do it and combine the two and she just realized she couldn't. And she had achieved enough in that time period to prove that this was a reasonable risk to take. The stories in the book are interspersed with Gwen's tips on everything from diving off the start blocks to packing for the Olympics. So Liz, why was it important to include these details in the book? Well, we intend the book for young adult or middle grade readers, at least primarily, and we have to assume that they don't know things like what a starting block is or how to clip or unclip on a bike. And so we wanted to include that nonfiction that just tactic or um, yeah, technical information in sidebars. And so if a kid did want to read more, um, they could, or they could skim, or they could skip it if they know it, just providing all of the information inside of one text. Um, I think that you'll see that like with nonfiction books a lot. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that I'm really pleased with is just the way that it looks. I think it's inviting. We've got some pictures, we've got some sidebars, there's some gray stuff, some, you know, white background stuff. Um, and so I think, you know, that was our intent too, is to make the book interactive in a way, playful in a way, um, so that the kids can take from it what they want to. As someone with a swimming and triathlon background myself, um, I know that I can get caught up in technical language quite frequently. We get a lot of mailbag uh, emails asking what a TT bike is all the time. <laughs> so that is, it is good sometimes too, to include those for, for readers of any age. Um, but the book also includes several letters from present day Gwen to her younger self at various moments in her life. And so Nancy, as her mom, what is it like to read Gwen's notes to her younger self? Yeah, you know, some of it, she was always a quiet kid. And like Elizabeth was saying, Elizabeth was the, extrovert. Gwen was the introvert. Um, Gwen was the younger one. And so Elizabeth in the beginning actually did a lot of talking for Gwen. And Gwen would be, I would ask her a question and she might nod at me or <laughs> defer to Elizabeth to kind of explain what they were doing. And so um, 
I enjoyed reading those letters because I, I, I don't think I knew everything that was in her mind. And it was illuminating to me to realize just how thoughtful she was as a little kid, but then also how thoughtful she still is and how she thinks about those early years and what she wishes she had known and, and maybe how she could have been even better. The book is subtitled USA's First Olympic Gold Medal Triathlete. And Gwen had a long list of USA firsts during her triathlon career. Nancy, you were in London in 2011 when Gwen shocked everyone to finish second, the highest finish ever for an American woman at a World Triathlon Series race. So what was it like to watch your daughter doing something no American woman had ever done before? Right. You know, I, I people ask us that question kind of a lot. And on this journey, we didn't really know what was going to happen, especially in 2011. Um, she went to London as just for experience. She was the fifth person on the team, uh, fifth person on a team of five. And there were absolutely no expectations of her to do anything except experience one big race in Europe. And so for me, later on, I, I would get very nervous. But at this 2011 race, there was nothing to be nervous about. I didn't think she would win. I didn't think she would place. Um, I, I had I didn't even know enough about the bike to be nervous about the dangers of it. <laughs> and so it was. Um, I that that was one of my favorite races, just because of the low pressure and the low nervousness factor in 2011. After that, when she started to really achieve, and the pressure came on, um, and she would you know she'd be the first woman to to win a. Um, a world triathlon series race and then the first woman to win three in a row and then the first woman to win you know 14 then the pressure mounted and it was um i did feel a lot of nerves before and during every single race and she did between 2014 and 2016 gwen won two world championship titles and i think 15 consecutive world triathlon series wins which is just it, it's, I mean, I think it was called Gwen sanity and it is, it is Gwen sanity. I mean, that's, that is wild in the sport of triathlon. And so Liz, as you followed your sister's career, you call her, you call yourself her biggest fan, but could you also tell that she was changing the sport while, while all that was happening? It was, it was unbelievable. It still is unbelievable to think back at what she accomplished. Um, you know, we tried, I think, just to be very mindful and take it one race at a time and not think of the big picture in the moment, because like mom was saying, that would just add even more pressure. Um, and towards the end, like going into the real race, when she had that huge string of wins, it was almost like a relief when she took second because it broke that bubble and it was like okay it the streak is done like you know it just it it was it was I, I don't think I still understand the legacy that she has left will leave um you know I think that that only time will tell that but it's been really exciting to cheer her on throughout you know her career definitely has for for everyone not just her family too um, we mentioned some of the practical advice included in the book and one blurb about funding really stood out to us. So you write during the 2016 race season, Gwen had five sponsors who paid her between $5,000 and $20,000 to have their name on her race suit and $5,000 for branding on the winningest woman in triathlon history and the heavy favorite for the Olympic gold seems like a deal. So <laughs> I'm curious if either of you have followed the sport since 2016 and have thoughts on the influx of money and even how sponsorship has changed. Now there's groups like the Professional Triathletes Organization and Super League Triathlon that make it possible for those at the highest levels to be making more money. I have not followed that particular um, topic, uh, but I know when she was receiving money, that was all just such a mystery to me how this happened. And like you said, you know, she would tell me, uh, you know, what a certain sponsor would be giving her. And it, it's, it seemed like a deal for what they were getting in return. And sometimes it wasn't even, there was no cash involved. It would be one sponsor would take care of if she won, they would throw the celebration for family and friends. Um, or it was just product. And I didn't, I didn't realize how hard an athlete has to work to get that sponsorship. And then, you know, what, it's not just the name. It's usually, it usually involves some appearances um, 
or social media posts or something. Um, and that was actually the impetus for us to write the first book that we learned so much on the, the journey to the Olympics that I think people just don't realize one thing being funding um, that we thought giving an, a reading audience that insider view would just be something that people would be interested in. Well, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that there have been changes made to the, the pay structures or sponsorship because, you know, when, when Gwen was in the thick of it, she was at the top, but then you look at like the racers that were five to 10 in the world and they were still having full-time jobs because they needed to have that to support their career. And so, you know, I, I do hope that the athletes feel more supported, that the funding is coming in so that they can just focus on triathlon. I'm a little bummed that I, uh, I missed out on putting like Haley Tura on, uh, her Rio kit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I had just known, <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I probably would have needed to stay in my own accounting job to, uh, afford that then, but still, you know, uh, it is amazing. I'm glad things have gotten better. And, um, let's talk about those Rio Olympics because a real highlight of the whole book was reliving that 2016 race at the Rio Olympics. Liz, can you tell us what it was like to, to be in Rio watching the race play out? And did it actually, did, did you get to see a lot? And did you get to see, especially, I want to hear if you got to see like the, the part when, uh, Gwen and eventual silver medalist, Nicholas Spear were like chatting during the run. Did you get to actually see that happen? Yeah, we were there with a whole bunch of people, family and friends. I think there were like 18 of us in a large group, which was amazing, you know, just to have that energy surrounding you. Uh, we were cheering together. Um, it, it was very, very fun. But we, the beginning of the race, um, I went down to the beach start and was able to be, you know, within feet of her and cheer her on as she entered the water. And then I came back to the grandstand during the swim um, and stayed there. And we, they had like jumbotrons and you could like watch the coverage um, live on those screens. And then they also had like a commentary and they were doing the commentary in several languages, um, one of them being English. So we could understand what they were saying. And then um, during the run, yes, we were still on the grandstand and she was, it was clear that they were having a conversation and I did not like it. I was like, no, you focus on yourself. Like this, I don't know what's going on, but just run, just run. And, you know, not obviously being able to scream that so she could hear me was frustrating, but, you know, then also eager afterward to find out what was that? What happened? What, what did you say? And what Elizabeth isn't telling you is that we saw, you know, they once per lap, they would come through the grandstand area and Elizabeth being the extrovert that she is, um, came up with a new cheer every time got the 17 of us all day. It would either be go, go Gwen, go or USA, USA or something, but she was very creative. Um, in, in getting us to all make sure that Gwen heard us. Yes, and everyone obliged too, which I was very thankful for. I wasn't the only one screaming. <laughs> was there ever an acknowledgement from Gwen during the race that she heard or did she tell you after she heard the cheers? She was so focused in that race. Um, you know, even at the end where sometimes she'll grab a flag and run across the finish line or check multiple times behind her. There was just, she was just focused on that finish line. I don't, I don't, I can't remember if she talked about hearing the crowd at the end. Um, I remember her talking about it throughout the course that it was so lined and just electric on every lap. Um, you know, obviously some courses are more spectator friendly than others. And lots of people came out in Rio. And what about those moments after how long was it before you could get down to her, you know, give her a hug, see each other, all of that. Yeah, it was a long time. Um, and then once we, once we did finally see her, then they just whisked her away and we would see her periodic. Well, we saw her, her once and then she went over to the USO or the um, International Broadcast Center and then came back to the NBC studio on the beach. And, you know, there were two things that she was, that she wanted to talk to us about. One was, Mom, do I smell? I haven't had any deodorant since my race <laughs> and I'm so hungry. <laughs> they haven't given me much food. And so while she had her hair done for the NBC appearance, she asked Elizabeth to cut up the, they had a, a box of takeout. And so Elizabeth was slicing up steak and broccoli and feeding it to her while she got her hair done. <laughs> and she, yeah. And so, and then, you know, that lasted maybe 10 minutes and she was gone again. And then we finally, maybe at 10 o'clock at night, she finally showed up late to the, um, you, the 
U.S. Olympic Committee celebration. And, um, then, and then we finally got to actually talk to her. And what you had mentioned being nervous, feeling nervous, I mean, throughout her career and as that pressure builds, did you feel like relief, excitement? What were your feelings when, when she did cross the finish line and got that medal? Absolutely. I mean, all of that. And it was mostly, um, I'm nervous for, I'm nervous for myself because I'm going to be so scared if she gets hurt, but I'm nervous for her because I know the stakes that she has put on each of these races. You know, as far as winning, I want it for her. As far as staying healthy and don't break an arm, (laughs) um, that's kind of the mom's worry. But so, yeah, when everything went just perfectly for her in the race and she wasn't injured and there were no major crashes for anybody else, um, yes, it was all those mixed up emotions of joy and relief and happiness and just family pride, um, anything you can imagine. It was, it was in there. And Liz, what about you? I mean, were, were, were you nervous or did you just like, did it all play out exactly as how you expected minus the little weird, I try not to have expectations, you know? And so (laughs) that's, I, I try, 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 but the, as soon as it, it ended, I was like, is there a penalty? Like I was nervous that something would have happened that I wouldn't have noticed. Or like with that conversation, what were they talking about? Like, I was just like, it's for real, right? It's for real. Like I need to see it somewhere where it says Gwen gold medal. Um, and then, yeah, just elated. Like mom said for her, we saw how much she dedicated, how much she how much she put in day after day, year after year for this one singular goal. And then to be there when she achieved it, like it just, I was so thankful and grateful and happy for her. Um, and, you know, couldn't wait to see what was next. Cause I know that with Gwen, there's always something that's next. <laughs> Gwen does mention her admiration for athletes who are also mothers. Um, and we know she and Patrick just welcomed their second child, a baby boy named George. Nancy, can you tell us how the family is doing? I'm in Colorado right now. In fact, I'm recording this from Gwen's, um, from Patrick's office. Oh, he, the baby is just so perfect. Um, He looks a little different than Stanley, but he's got um, just a very relaxed personality. He's, Gwen, you know, Gwen will tell me, oh, he's so fussy at night. And after my two, well, after Elizabeth actually was a very fussy baby, I keep telling her, oh, you are so lucky. He's, um, I, I just think he's very easygoing and um, cutest little guy. And we're having a great time just holding him constantly. And so there are so many great stories, tips, messages for young athletes. And, and then you mentioned the photos that some of those made me very nostalgic. Um, like seeing some of the old swimming photos, like just old swimsuits, there's something about it. I just, um, so fun to look through those. Uh, if our listeners want to enjoy all of that, we've covered a few, but there's so much more, uh, what is the best way for them to purchase Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete? Go ahead, Elizabeth. Yeah, it's sold anywhere books are sold. Um, You can buy it anywhere books are sold. And so Amazon, of course, if you want signed copies, Mm -hmm. there is a local bookstore, um, Books and Company in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And perhaps you can put it in the show notes, um, a link to get the personalized copies. Um, Is that signed by all three of you? mm -hmm, Yeah, by all three of us. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. And no extra charge. So it's, you know, (laughs) and you're supporting a local business, which I think is great, too. Um, And then additionally, um, we're offering a free teacher guide. And so if there is a teacher who would want to use the book in their classroom, or maybe even a coach who would want the kids to read the book and then talk about some things afterward, um, that free teacher guide can be found via us on social media. I've also linked to it on Goodreads. Um, You could reach out to us and we'll we'll share it with you. You can find it on social media. Um, And then the same thing, you know, we really do want kids to take something from the book and to learn from it. And so if they do have questions, mom and I are offering some author talks. And so hopefully we can coordinate with some teams or school groups after they read the book and just to have some of their questions answered from the authors. And in the book, um, Elizabeth said before, we try to make it interactive. And Gwen says right in the book that if you have questions, um, kids, adults, whatever, can contact her directly through social media, and she'd be happy to have a conversation with them. Well, thank you so much for your time. And Nancy, enjoy the time in Colorado with the new little bundle that arrived. And uh, yeah, I 
you know, Gwen's journey was definitely, I think, a pivotal part of triathlon as Haley and I were developing, you know, as elite triathletes as well. And so it certainly is a journey and a story that is, it's great to see it being told in many different fashions and getting passed down to younger generations in this way. So thanks for, thanks for all your work on that and your continued effort to make sure that it is, you know, staying alive in the triathlon community. Yeah, thank you for giving yeah. the, uh, the opportunity to talk about it. And, you know, we're hoping that not just kids who are interested in triathlon, but just any kid with a dream or a goal could take something from it. Big thank you to Liz and Nancy for giving us that behind the scenes on Gwen's life, their lives, and also the writing process. I think it's super interesting. And uh, Liz did send over links that we will put in the show notes on how to get those signed copies of the Gwen Jorgensen USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete book. Uh, I think it's books and company community bookstore is where, where those are, but we'll have those links in our show notes. And Alyssa, we have just like been really giving our listeners a lot of ideas for their holiday shopping. If they have any special triathletes in their lives. I know full of ideas. And next week we will have another great idea. We're having another author on the show. Um, Amanda Prescott Graves will be coming on to talk about the non-recipe book, which she recently released and also makes a great holiday gift idea. So, I mean, people, I can't, I'm sure that they're just so thankful to us, Haley, for these ideas. I know we give lots of good ideas. I do have a question for you. How do you feel about like the, like, if you, uh, as a gift, like signing someone up for a race, do you think that's a good gift or a not so good gift? I think it's a great gift if you're like sure that the person wants to be doing it, you know, right? Yeah. So maybe you, I mean, maybe like, it's one you should talk to someone about and not yeah, surprise them with don't, it. Like, I would not surprise. Cause like a lot. Yeah. I would, I would be like, yeah, if I just got a surprise, you're going to this race. I would be like, uh, cause I'm very particular. Like probably a lot of athletes are about even just like, uh, like, I mean, probably gifts around like my bike things. Right. And like, let alone what I'd be racing. So I think that, yeah, I think it would, I would panic if I, if it was something I, I, was like, I about signed before. you up for the local 5k new year's Eve 5k. Would you be like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Well, yeah, no, I think I would be like, oh, great. I'll, you have to go my pace and we'll run it together. Oh, that could be fun. <laughs> that could be really fun. Okay. Which well, would maybe... be fun. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It I feel depends. like it depends. Like maybe like <laughs> for your, for someone's mom, who's been like into running, like surprise your mom and be like, I'm coming home to do the 5k with you. And you know, I got us both oh, our entries. Like that is totally different from being like, Oh, Alyssa, you are racing Oceanside 70.3. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's hard too. So she doesn't come with like also accommodation and travel if that involves. You're like, okay, yeah. Those people should talk to their talk to the to the recipient ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. But okay. hopefully people can can tell the difference. Well, if but- you have any other gift questions, uh send us ironwomenpodcast at yeah. gmail.com. We'll take our stab or take a whatever. I don't even know. Take a try. All <laughs> right, Hillary. Well, congratulations on your fifth place champion award at Clash Daytona. And thanks for telling us all about it. Definitely, I think is one we should all be putting on our list for future years. And we will now let you go so you can start catching up on sleep and hit that off season. Thanks, Alyssa. I'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Woman is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.